I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we express our love and joy of film and TV by kicking off with the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is the main topic of discussion or main review, and finish up with Film Face, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This episode slightly different. After a brief week in review, we will move on to a main event, which is a main review of Jurassic World Dominion, the latest popcorn box office release. And then for film faves, we found an opportunity to finally do our favorite John Williams scores. Finally. So we'll talk about that later. But first, the week in review, as I understand it, Shanna, you have not been really watching or completing anything, just been kind of watching casually things here and there, yeah? Nothing has been complete. I've started a few things, but have finished nothing yet. But maybe next time we do this, I'll have a few things to talk about. What have you been busy with? Well, and, and we also haven't really watched much together We have much to catch up with, including Stranger Things Season 4. We have Ms. Marvel to catch up with, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So we have a lot of catching up to do together. Uh, But I I have been chipping away at the James Bond series as part of the series of articles I'm doing on the blog, The Gibson Review, James Bond, A Review. Uh, We have gotten through... The Dalton movies, and I have two more Pierce Brosnan movies to get through. You wanted to watch some of those with me, so you watched... Did you watch all the Dalton movies? No. Okay, so which Dalton movies did you watch with me? Uh, the one with Christopher Walken? No, 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 that was Roger Moore. Oh, well, you see, this isn't going to help This me. is the, the next ones. Um, there was The Living Daylights, and there was License to Kill. Oh, uh, maybe License to Kill. Okay, and then you watched two of the Pierce Brosnan movies with me, GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, watching GoldenEye was a lot of fun. That was the first one that I was introduced to as a kid. I think I was eight when it came out, uh. and there's nothing that I, I don't think you can beat Tina Turner. You're talking uh, about the theme the song. With the theme song. Yeah. I, I, you just say GoldenEye, and I'm like, and there she is in my head. <laughs> so, uh. you know, it just goes on and on and on. And so that was great. And I thought that was a really well-executed James Bond film and had some great faces that were recognizable in there. Mm-hmm. And then what was the next one for Pierce Brosnan? Tomorrow Never Dies, which we watched at time of recording. We watched the other day. Yeah, and that's got Michelle Yeoh, and that was pretty fun to see, and I just love how she dealt with James Bond. She's Mm. my favorite. Mm. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on License to Kill and how that compares to the Brosnan stuff? So far, I'm thinking up to this point, P.S. Brosnan's stuff is way better. Mm. How about you? Well, at at the time that you guys are listening to this, it's possible that I 
we'll finally have the article published that details the reviews of the Dalton and the Brosnan film. So you can read what I think about those movies by going to the Gibson Review dot com and see my ranking of those films well i think the introduction of judy dench is also amazing mm, mm-hmm. love her mm-hmm. she plays m okay so that is my weekend review and that concludes the weekend review and gets us trucking along pretty quickly here to the main event which is our review of jurassic world dominion Oh, come on, you love me. (laughs) I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion. Something that was real. Something that they could see and touch. Creation is an act of sheer will. Life will find a way. We can't keep her here forever. They find out we're never going to see her again. We got to protect her. That's our job. Humans and dinosaurs can't coexist. We created an ecological disaster. Ellie Sattler. Alan Grant. You didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? You coming or what? We're racing toward the extinction of our species. We not only lack dominion over nature, we're subordinate to it.
and that was from the trailer to Jurassic World Dominion. Supposedly the final Jurassic Park movie. I believe that when I see it. This time directed once again by Colin Trevorrow, who directed Jurassic World. Uh, the script was co-written by Emily Carmichael, Colin Trevorrow, and the story was by Derek Connolly. This film stars Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, DeWanda Wise, Mamudu Ati, Isabella Sermon, Campbell Scott, B.D. Wan, Omar Sy, and more. The uh, description of this film is four years after the destruction of Isla Nublar, which I believe occurred in Falling Kingdom. Dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. This balance will reshape the future and determine once and for all whether human beings are to remain the apex predators on a planet they now share with history's most fearsome creatures in a new era. For some reason, they capitalized era. That's that's not proper. Anyway, so when we review a movie, we like to focus first on the good. What worked about a film for us? What was this? What were its strengths? Then move on to the bad. What were its weaknesses and, and flaws? What made a movie shitty, perhaps? And then weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad. Give our scores and then move on to spoilers and final thoughts. So, Shanna, I think between the two of us, you are the bigger Jurassic Park fan. I distinctly remember seeing the film the 1993 film, in the theaters. I don't know if you were old enough to have that memory yourself. So uh, we never saw it in the theater. You know, my mom did come home with a cool new VHS tape, and it was when we were starting. You know, my mom would always record what was on television and that was that was our packaging was the cassette tape and the cardboard box and nothing fancy you know and so Jurassic Park was one of those purchases I was uh, you know conscious of mm. and she came home with that and we started watching it and we were just absolutely fascinated with the the DNA cartoon ah. uh, that explains how they made the dinosaurs and I have always loved that film. Yeah, so I was curious. Have you seen all of the related movies? Absolutely not. What, okay, which ones have you not seen in the series? So I've seen everything. Oh, well, I've seen everything except the last one. The previous one. Yeah, the previous Fallen one. Kingdom. Yeah, but I've given everything else a try. Okay. Uh, I've watched the Netflix Lego Jurassic Park show and that's not bad for a lego show okay and so at this point prior to seeing this movie uh, obviously it seems to to me it's obvious that you thought that the first one's the best one how did the other ones uh, measure up to you nothing obviously beats the first one the original and then the the sort of reboot was fine. Jurassic World? Yeah, Jurassic World. And the, the sequel to Jurassic Park was decent. The Lost World? Yeah. 
so I've been fine with those, but mm. everything else kind of well, that I have seen, yeah, uh, which doesn't leave very much. No, it's one movie. It's like one movie, <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it's hard to keep count, you know. Mm. So you thought Jurassic Park 3 was the worst, and you thought the other two movies you'd seen were fine. Yeah. Okay. I'd probably go Jurassic Park 1, Jurassic Park 2, Jurassic Park 4. You mean Jurassic World? Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I think there's a huge distance between the second best movie in the series and the best. I don't think any of the movies have ever measured up to the original. I think all, even people who are who find something to enjoy in every Jurassic Park movie all seem to agree that none of them ever like are close to the first film at all yeah. in terms of just craftsmanship and everything else. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, show more after you go, but I want to hear from you your general thoughts of Jurassic World Dominion, which notably bridges the two worlds together, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, those casts brings them together, and what you thought the strengths, what was good about this movie? Well, it... I've always wondered, since I was a kid, after seeing the first film, I've always wondered what happened to the original characters. Mm. And that doesn't really get answered except for, is it Malcolm? He comes back apparently in, in Fallen second, Kingdom. I thought he came back in the second one. Right, that's true too. He's in Lost World, yes. Okay. And he has a daughter. Yeah, and I was I was okay with that. But I've always wondered when we would get to see those characters again. I obviously haven't read the book, so I don't know if answers are given in there. I they all the, the three survive both books, as I recall. Okay, and you know, as a kid, I always just assumed Samuel L. Jackson's character <laughs> lived. So you know, <laughs> this whole like for years, my brother and I didn't get that he died. And so for years, we were hoping to see him again. And obviously wow. that never happened. So the day we, we realized, oh, he's actually dead, was very upsetting for us. That's so. crazy. How did Whose arm did you think Ellie ran into in the first film it when did, she went to the bunker? It didn't look like his arm. Uh, okay. I don't think it was lit very well. So. All right. Anyway, I, I thought that the bridging was okay. Uh, it, was, it wasn't outstanding hmm. you know but it was basic and lovely and i was very gleeful when i saw laura dern's character uh -huh. and and happy i gave a little clap no one clapped so it's definitely this isn't a star wars level oh characters we love are coming back kind of thing although the theater experience was very there were a lot of people and a lot of people were very excited they're very quiet, though, so that, that you know, is worth noting that, yeah, they didn't react as, as, a, as a group the way you did. Yeah. Anyway, what was good about the movie? I really enjoyed all the jump scares that were happening and how frightening it was. I don't remember Jurassic World being too frightening. Um, and so it was nice to see all these dinosaurs on the big screen. I don't think it would be as effective, of course, if it was on the small screen. And that I enjoyed that the most about this film. Mm. And then I liked what they were working with. I liked the plot. 
Uh, that was fine. And I liked how things ended the way they did. It was pretty harmonious. You know, there were Easter eggs references to the first film throughout. Hmm. And so if you were paying attention, you would see it. So I appreciated that. And uh, usually the Chris Pratt character and the Howard. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, characters irritate me to no end. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, seeing them as these parental figures kind of help me like them a little bit more because I'm like, huh. oh, I can relate to you. Yeah. Huh. Uh, okay. It's, it's hard raising a teenager, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so I thought this was a a nice break from all the serious films we've been watching that that have either a lot of pressure on them or are meant to be saying something and be meaty. Hmm. So it was nice to have something a little more simple and hmm. straightforward and popcorn entertainment. It's very basic. Hmm. Okay. I... You have to start with the good, Jeff. I am. Yes, I, I will say, like... You know, I asked what your general thoughts of the movie are and, and the good. And I'll say generally, I'm not a huge fan of this of this movie, but I will focus on what was good about it first, because that's what we do. And I will I will agree with you that at times it can be pretty fun. And there are some moments of genuine suspense. And they they introduce a lot of dinosaurs or bring bring make or mix a bunch of different species that we've seen in other movies and and also what's interesting is it integrated the theory it kind of updated with the theory that dinosaurs a lot of the dinosaurs would have feathers and be bird like yeah so yeah they updated their theories and that was that was interesting not all of them are like that but several of them and so that was very interesting to see. I, I don't think I disliked any of the principal's performances. I, you know, I, I can't necessarily say that Chris Pratt or Bryce Howard or or Sam Neill or Goldblum or uh, Laura Dern, any of those were awful. I think that they're they're just fine. I think Chris Pratt is just so crazy because like there's a shot. It's in the trailer too, where he's like calming down. I think it's called a Dilophosaurus, and the shot the the camera looks at him, and he's got this cowboy westerny like blue eyed twinkle sort of thing going on, and it's like, God damn, when did Chris Pratt becomes the sexiest man alive? <laughs> Like, you know, we were just talking about, like, uh, Parks and Rec the other day and stuff. And, you know, he was this dumpy, doughy, kind of clueless idiot. And here he is being like, I will calm you down, dinosaur. And I will look really sexy while I do it. In the morning light. It's just, it's just so crazy to me. Like, my God, he is chiseled. He has been working out. Now he's in all these action movies and everything. Mm. And he's a hero. It's like, wow. Like, he needs to actually be in an FBI movie so he can actually be the Burt Macklin uh, he, he dreamed well, I, of being in Parks and Rec, <laughs> you know? That would be nice. But I don't know what his role is in that Amazon show. Like, I'm still yet to check that out. The Terminal List? 
Yeah, I don't know what that's about. He, he's the guy with the list, love. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so... I have to say, like, you mentioning that about the uh, the principal characters, I, I love the addition of DeWanda Wise. I love her character. Hmm. Yeah, you see her in the trailer, and I don't... At first I thought, oh, she must be someone that was introduced in Fallen Kingdom, but I got the distinct impression that that's not the case, that she's new in this movie. Uh, because Chris Pratt's character and Bryce Howard's characters and uh, kind of get introduced to her mm. as though they never met her before. I, you know, she's she's uh, she's not bad. She's pretty good. You know, you know, uh, uh, you know. Look, I I came into this movie. Honestly, I didn't care about this movie going into it. I didn't even have mm-hmm. plans to watch it, but. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies where you kind of got to review it for the podcast because this is the movie wow. that people will be talking about and they'll mm-hmm. care about and it'll bring in listeners and all that sort of stuff. Wow. And so I expected it, especially when the reviews came in as it being the worst reviewed in the entire franchise, I expected it to be garbage. But I also expected like Morbius to be unwatchable and... Yeah, uh, Mobius was pretty unwatchable. It was pretty painful. What you really thought it was? You didn't even name it the I, worst movie of the year. And it you, doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. I named it the worst movie of the year, and I was like, "Well, I didn't eh, want to take that from you." It's fine, you know. And like, you can watch it. It's, it's got a lot of problems. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is this: this year has had a, a lot of movies that aren't great, mm. but aren't garbage. And I and I. I kind of feel like moving into the bad, this movie isn't great, but it's also not garbage. Yeah. In fact, it makes me want to reassess the other sequels and kind of like see like, was Jurassic Park 3 that bad? (laughs) Like, was Uh how is, like I used to love Lost World, but in retrospect, a lot of people are like, oh, Lost World is so bad. And it makes me want to watch that and compare it to this and even maybe even Fallen Kingdom, which has a reputation for being dumb. It wouldn't be a bad idea to check out all of them. And just on that basis, I mean, like, the, the look, the bar is set so high with the first film. It was an achievement. Yeah. And also, it was a great freaking movie, the way it was executed. Forget all the, like, special effects and the vfx um pioneering it did mm. as a film and the craftsmanship of plotting and and executing and the characters and making us care and everything it's really great adaptation of the source novel none of the movies after that really came close to that they're all just you know at worst they took away from the first movie just the basic idea of run away from dinosaurs don't get eaten and none of them were really wrestling with a lot of interesting ideas or wrestling with them in an interesting way Mm. you know so the bar is like the expectations are very low when you're watching these movies you know but it kind of it so it's an interesting exercise from the start like trying to rank the sequels you know because they're all like "Eh, you know (laughs) Yeah. You know, do they just kind of just almost do better than another? Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's what this movie did was it was like made me retroactively want to reassess 
Like, are the other ones better? <laughs> By how much? Really? <laughs> I don't know. So what what didn't work for you? Broadly speaking, before we get into spoilers, mm. what didn't work for you about this film in general? Look, they reeled me in when they showed the trailer that had the original three. Mm. And I was like, I want to freaking see them. Sucker. Fuck off. (laughs) 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 This year is definitely a year of like, let's revisit our our existing IPs, you know? Yeah, this decade. Good God. Yeah. We've got some good sprinkled original stuff in there too. And I definitely love the original stuff, like everything, everywhere, all at once more. Mm. But I'm not going to get into this with you. So (laughs) I... I knew going into the film it was just going to be popcorn munching entertainment. Ah. So my expectations were really low. What didn't work for me was seeing the new three. Like, I was okay with seeing the girl. That was fine. Can you be specific? No. Okay. Because there's, like, more than one woman in this movie. (laughs) I said girl, not woman. So you're talking about the teenager? Yeah. Okay. Within the Jurassic World franchise, Uh I I just am not into Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Okay. They piss me off, even when when it is at a point where I can relate to them, which is in this movie a little bit more. And... I don't know. I don't know why I don't like their faces in this franchise. Like, do you ever have that? Do you ever experience like, I don't want to see so-and-so in Spider-Man or I don't think that that's a good fit. Like, do you ever feel that way? You mean the casting in particular or? I think it's the character and the casting. Um, Like, I'd really have to think about that because they're two different issues sometimes you mm. know i like chris pratt i love him in guardians uh-huh 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 but like i just don't want to i don't i don't like it i don't know what's wrong with me all right whatever so that whatever. just you know seeing them <laughs> didn't really work for me but because the original three were in there it, it kind of worked out and anytime that i didn't see the original three or wise um i was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess I just have to wait to see them again. So anyway, I guess not seeing more of the original three didn't work for me, huh. um, even though it seemed pretty even. Yeah, because you have like three different stories going on in yeah. this film and the three eventually weaving together, coming together, which I I actually thought was a good thing. I, I, I yeah. think that that, wasn't, that was not terrible scripting and plotting but yeah what, what was there anything else you want to speak to about the that didn't work for you you know we haven't really talked a lot about this film after watching it and i guess i just don't have anything that springs to mind right now okay but something that does come to mind is something that you said so why don't you talk about what you what didn't work for you well uh, a few things <laughs> but the biggest thing is well hmm. yeah you have to watch think, out for spoilers don't you well no it's not that it's it's like is it actually the biggest thing first of all it, it can be predictable and sure. it also 
tries it, it tries reaching for things that are outside its grasp i think it that i just i think it's one of those lesser movies examples the people behind the film just do not have the capability to achieve what this movie is trying for chiefly trying it, it's trying for appealing to an audience from the past and 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 their nostalgia and trying to really bank on it it's trying to lean on your feelings for previous characters and for their appearance to mean something and i don't think this film ever got me excited in that way on the level of something like Star Wars The Force Awakens when mm-hmm. it brought back Carrie Fisher, ha- uh, Harrison Ford, <laughs> Mark Hamill, any of those characters, uh, the, those moments when you see these characters again that you've known for X number of decades, it, it they were executed in a way that like it was like seeing old friends again. Mm. And I didn't necessarily think that that worked as well here. Also, this movie tries to reenact several moments from the first film in particular, and I think a couple moments from other movies too. Yeah, Lost World, uh sorry, uh, Jurassic World. And there's there's definitely a repeat of a se- sequence in Jur- in Jurassic World in this one, and it's like, eh, okay, all right, I see what you're doing there. So those th- two three things are the biggest issues I have with this film. There's more I could get into in spoilers, but those are the biggest things. And there's there's also like one other thing that's like probably fourth down the list in terms of you know severity. Sometimes there's like some stupid decisions made um, or things that don't make sense throughout the whole like franchise. I stupid uh, decisions. I hear what you're saying, but I meant like, Oh, that doesn't make sense. Kind of thing. Okay. Like there is a scene when someone is trapped by a Raptor, a Velociraptor and they have a gun and they try shooting a lock to get free when they could have just shot the Velociraptor in the head. I, I don't know much about Velociraptors, and I can't remember what they've established in the universe already. Like, I don't know if a Velociraptor moves too fast or if it's not worth the bullet. Like, I don't know. It was coming at him many, 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 many times. So, I mean, he had an opportunity. that You know, jaws were open and closed often. So, you know, there's stuff like that that's like, uh, what the hell? But anyway, so those are my general issues with the film. I think I think this movie is a 5 out of 10. I can see why you would say that. I don't know what I would give this. Really? It's not an 8 out of 10 for you. I mean, no, because I don't jump to that immediately, do I? <laughs> so. Well, sometimes you do. You jump to when 9 I'm out sure, of 10. When I'm sure of myself, yeah. yeah. All right, all right. But you don't, so you don't think it's a three out of ten or a four out of ten? Well, I kind of agree with you. Really? Yeah, and you I know can... you don't often 
like that, but... Well, it's not that I don't like that. I'm usually surprised because you express so much more positivity toward the movie. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's just popcorn munching. There oh, isn't right. a... The, and there's a little bit of a current theme in one of the plots, but, uh-huh. you know, not enough. All right. So you would give it a 5 out of 10? Yeah. All right. All right. So... Uh, mixed bag from both of us. That's our non-spoiler thoughts on Jurassic World Dominion. We're going to get into spoilers and final thoughts here. Uh, it sounds like we're kind of wrestling with talking about the movie here. So let's get into that. If you haven't seen Jurassic World Dominion, you, you, you kind of want to spare yourself. Look at this timestamp in the show notes. Skip ahead to our film faves list so you can hear us talk about John Williams' scores. Otherwise... Follow along with us as we talk about spoilers for Jurassic World Dominion starting now. Okay, so first of all, I think it's good, I think it's important to establish one of the main plot points in this film is that there's this company, Biogen or something. Biosyn. Biosyn. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. not Ingen, but Biosyn. And, you know, it's you know, it's always a company. It's always a corporation. And they're in the business of same shit that Engine oh, was into. Except they create giant freaking locusts that, like, eat up crops that are not seeded or what have you by biosyn crops. Yeah, you've got crops. it. Yeah, they've they've for kind the, of their DNA has been made to avoid that crop, but go after the you know the little guys. Yeah, so I guess so that way Biosyn can control the world's food supply. Yeah, and, and no one at any point was like, "Hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait." Um, what if this has disastrous effects on feed for other animals? And what would that do to our food supply? So then BD Wan, who is remarkably, his character is still alive. He survives all the things. Yeah. Funny enough, he he dies in the first book. But he survives all the movies. He wants to use the girl's DNA, because the girl's a clone, use her DNA... To change the DNA of the locusts so that way they would stop doing the eating and the bad things. There's that, That's a major plot point. Do you have any thoughts on that plot point? Did you like that? Did you think that was interesting? Yeah, do you, do you think that was smart? Well, honestly, it was a tickle. I mean, like, Biosyn is obviously this huge corporation that doesn't have a board of trustees or mem- board, board members. Uh-huh. Um, so that's odd to me. It's just one person that's in charge that's calling the shots. Uh-huh. That's a little odd uh-huh. to me. Uh-huh. It, as far as I understand, that's not how it works. It's not... Sure. Other... You know, board members would keep people in check with this kind of thing. And so that immediately kind of, you know, throws me off. Uh-huh. I, I liked the idea, uh-huh. but I don't think it was more well executed to kind of match where we are in life right now. Like, I think the writing is the problem. Like, I don't know if I needed, can people be posting about this? Can we see that in the background really subtly? Like, uh. not obnoxiously in our face or anything like that, but, uh. like, 
they're the only people talking about it is like Laura Dern's going after it and yeah, is amazing when she comes on the scene and is like, I'm going to solve all the world's problems attitude. And then we've got the person who's trying to take the company down. Uh, he's been in a few things. Which character is he? Ramsey Cole is the character's name and it's played by Mamado Athi. Well, yeah, it's eventually <laughs> revealed that, yeah. you know, but, but the thing is like, did they have to be giant freaking locusts? Like, why did they okay. have to be huge? Well, I assume that like during dinosaur times, things were much larger. Yeah. But couldn't they have just done this to normal locusts? I, I don't know, but it was kind of terrifying to me because I remember as a kid, like locusts and grasshoppers were all over the tennis courts uh-huh. in South Africa. So it was pretty frightening for me. Uh-huh. If you ever have one of those things fly up your skirt as a kid, it's not fun. Okay. Uh, so I felt like, I don't know. I felt like it was just off. Like it was, it just didn't have enough to it. It could have been really great, but there wasn't enough. To that plot. When Campbell plot. Scott shows up as the head of this company, immediately I'm thinking, oh, okay, so he's definitely going to be, he's definitely the one that's going to die. Um, <laughs> before we even get any hint that he's up to anything amoral or unethical, I'm like, oh, okay, so he's he's going to die for sure. And and he, he does, and I thought it was kind of predictable. But I, I guess I'll get that out of the way. He dies via Dilophosaur attacks. After his shaving cream. Yeah, he has, item. he has, uh, God, I want to say Wayne Knight. What's the character's name? Nedry. He has Nedry's <laughs> lost sha- Barbasol shaving cream. I don't know if that's the first time we've seen it since the first film, but he has that. And he's trying to escape to save his own skin. And it always drives me nuts in movies when someone's trying to save their own life and then they do something that would come that is intuitively completely in conflict with that that need to to survive. So, you know, self-preservance. If you are in any kind of a capsule or moving vessel that's going to help you get away, and for however long that thing stops moving, don't get out. Don't get out of it. That's the, That may be the only thing that's keeping you alive until it starts moving again. Or it doesn't. You know, but don't get out. And he does. And I'm just like, oh, what are you doing? Well, and I guess one of the things that you talked about where things don't make sense, that those tunnels don't make sense because they're somehow connected to like an amber mine uh-huh. where there's dinosaurs and there's skeletons, human skeletons everywhere where they probably send all the troublemakers, <laughs> you know, and then you've got... Nedry's demise dinosaur they've got those floating around so it just seems like a problem to me because there isn't like a cage separating the mining tunnel from Uh the tube Uh so it's like Dinosaurs would get in the way and you would eventually have an explosion problem you know if you rammed into them with these these pods well i was left wondering how the hell the dilophosaurus get into the tunnel in the first place because my understanding as we see in a diagram is it's a closed off tube essentially that sometimes passes things like like the amber mines um that's a little more open but like 
there's it's not like you can get into this passageway necessarily you know and so and the only way like they are able to get into the mines when when the core three gets stuck in the mines is by the door opening not because there's an opening in the tube you know so i i'm kind of like i'm very confused with the whole like death of campbell scott scene like where did they come from and it just felt like this forced reminder of how Nedry died because he literally dies the same way Nedry yeah. died except yeah. except there's like three of them this time and and also he has these fucking dinosaurs on his freaking remote island and he doesn't know what they are I found that incredulous he's like what's your deal you know <laughs> I was like really oh yeah that's what he said yeah anyway I, I was not thrilled by that and that's the other thing that leads me to my other main point about that I had an issue. Not enough people died in this movie. You're talking about main characters. Because there were poor little Italians that died in this movie. Yeah, like random. the guy riding the scooter all of a sudden his life is ended. Yeah. You know? La- random ass extras, sure. But like, how many people died in the first Jurassic Park film? Oh, a lot of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How many people die in this film? No one that's important. One. One. Who died that was important? The villain, Campbell Scott. Oh, but I don't, I don't, like, important good guy, you know? Like, no <sighs> no important good guy died, so. I'm just saying the characters that we spend time with, only one dies in the entire film. And I was left thinking, like, when everyone gets in the chopper at the end, I'm like, that's way too many survivors. <laughs> like, what the hell? Will there be room in the chopper? <laughs> like, in the last couple minutes, I was like, well, I guess BD1 has to survive because he's apparently got this, like, he's the key to solving the bigger problem. So I guess he has to survive. But then we got, okay, oh, is, are any of them going? Anytime there was a close-up on a character throughout the movie, I, I half expected <laughs> a dinosaur to suddenly chomp on them from off screen. Yeah. And pick them up, you know? But yeah. But none our, of that happened. Our main characters seem to be very well trained to deal and maneuver away from dinosaurs. Yeah. There is a moment when I really thought that Ian Malcolm was going to die. Yeah. I could see why you would think that for the, sure. When they reenact <laughs> in Jurassic yeah. Park, the whole <laughs> go around the Jeep thing from the big giant dinosaur uh, and don't make any sudden movements thing. Everybody manages to make their way back to the nearby building. But Ian Malcolm, he scurries into the Jeep that's upside down. And so I'm like, oh, no. Like, he's either going to get crushed or he's going to get eaten. And then he, like, so that attention could be directed away from one of the other characters... He does, again, he reenacts what happens in Jurassic Park with the whole, like, you know, throwing a torch kind of thing, um, which, by the way, didn't work well for him in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He barely survived that. So I was like, oh, they're going to do that again, except this time he's going to die. <laughs> and they didn't. He didn't die. He, granted, it was badass that he threw this, like, thing that was on fire into the I almost said dragon into the dinosaur's and mouth. It had a dragon effect. That right. was pretty fun. That granted, that's cool. But like, I was prepping myself for Ian Malcolm's death in that moment, you know. And 
do I want to see Ian, Ian Malcolm die? Not necessarily, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but like no one I cared about died. Like, where's the stakes here? There wasn't there wasn't any significant loss. It, it almost was like everybody is invulnerable. Well, and I guess no one conflict. got injured. Like even in the right. original, the kid, the boy got injured. Right. Like he got on the fence and then was right. he was electrocuted. And yeah. it took a while for him to come too, and that was good. And also, was it him? I feel like he was hobbling when he was running away from a raptor. In the in the kitchen scene, well, I too. thought it was her, but well, maybe I'm wrong. Ellie, one of them. Ellie was hob was also hobbling. No, I mean the girl child. Oh yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, no. It was him. Okay. It was Timmy. But yeah, you, Timmy. Um, I, Timmy I'm, was hobbling. I'm pretty sure that was his name. <laughs> okay. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm pretty <laughs> sure his name was Timmy. Timmy and his pig leg. Oh so. shame. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sorry. so that that was another problem I had. In addition to it being predictable, in addition to it constantly trying to call back to the previous movies, in addition to it reaching for feelings that I never felt, there's this issue of no one really died in a movie about dinosaurs eating people. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, just to bring it home, I, I did enjoy the black market of dinosaurs. That was interesting. I liked that, and I was hoping that we would we would see more sort of original ideas like that. I liked the concept of some dinosaurs you can approach at the feed the ducks pond right right and give right. a little pet pet to yeah and some dinos can be used for security purposes like the pterodac the pteranodons so uh i there was some interesting things it just it it Do, wasn't enough doesn't seem like a brilliant idea to use velociraptors as a cockfight sort of scenario though that, that could go south really feels very quickly very bad yeah uh well i like the idea of the 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 like weirdly bred sort of velociraptors or something close to that mm. where if you clicked a laser onto something, oh yeah 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 and then it would get the scent and it wouldn't stop until you were dead right they kind of fudged that a little bit when it came to chris pratt's character just so they could have the sequence they wanted to, to have the way it happened wasn't quite how it was set up it, that it was supposed to happen but still it was um you know, it was it was pretty thrilling, actually. I, I have to admit, and at the same time, you had Bryce Dallas Howard trying to elude another Velociraptor, and all. You know, that sequence was was wasn't bad. I enjoyed watching. I, I think you say is it Daikin Lachman, Deshen Lachman. Let me see. Yeah, I mean, your first guess is as good as mine, man. I'm I'm coming at it with with South African knowledge and they know South African knowledge, but I enjoyed seeing her. She seems to be quite the trafficker among different franchises, mm. so I, I'm amused. What do you know her from? Well, she's in Carbon. Oh, okay. Altered, alter, altered, or altered Carbon, mm -hmm. and then she's in Supergirl. Yeah, I mean. Look, the the one problem about her sequence and that entire sequence we were talking about is why the hell are they in Malta? Like, it felt like, oh, you're in Malta, so that way we could have this sequence on rooftops and through the streets of Malta. 
Or it's giving Malta a bad name with black markets. So, <laughs> hey, the perfect place for your black market. What Come we, join us. Bring the tourist dollars. What are we missing? <laughs> what else do we need to speak to? Uh, spoilers. I like seeing Ellie and Alan together and Alan still being this, like, shy guy. Huh. Um, and Ellie just being this person that absolutely is so determined and loves life. Mm. So that mm. was great. Mm. Did you like the whole, like, oh, they actually have a romance kind of thing and bring them together kind of? Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I don't think those two should be apart. <laughs> the fact okay. that they went and had separate lives for a while. I'm yeah. like, no. Huh. Okay. No, that's not how that's meant to go <laughs> in huh. my romance head. Yeah, if I recall, Michael Crichton would disagree with you. <laughs> Why? Are they not supposed to be together? I mean, I, I don't think they ever got together in the books at all. You oh, know? Okay. I, 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 it's been a long time since I read the books, but as I recall, he wasn't trying to create like a love interest kind of thing. I, I like when there's some love. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, it makes me feel like there's hope in the world for people. Fair enough. All right, well, I think we can wrap that up. That, those are our thoughts on Jurassic World Dominion. I had lots of issues with it. Shanna acknowledges, seems to acknowledge them, but is mostly fine with the film. Yeah, yeah I can't seem to come up with them on my own, except for one or two logistical things uh-huh. with how they've built their world. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, as you're bringing them up, I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed it regardless. All right. Uh, share with us what you thought about Jurassic World. Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time to move on to film faves, which is our favorite John Williams scores. So, first of all, if you're not familiar, film faves is a segment of the show inspired by a former feature on the blog, thegibsonreview.com, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. 12 because everybody does 5 or 10 in honorable mentions, and for us... We just have it be 12, and that's largely it most of the time. The idea typically is to hopefully expose you to movies you haven't seen before or heard of before, and we typically will share with you what streaming services, subscription services you can find those movies are. This list, however, is different, and it's different in in two ways. One, we are not focusing on the movies. We are focusing on the scores. This is kind of a sequel list to a list we did last year where we counted down our favorite scores of all time. And now we're doing John Williams because we did not focus on John Williams with that because he's so prolific and there's so much to mine from his I want to say it's like a 60-year career. Uh, that said, Shanna did manage to slip in one John Williams score in that list. We won't talk about it yet. She will talk about it later. But uh, this is a sequel to that list. It is, and so as such, the second way this is a unique one is usually we have to leave off our 12 favorite movies of all time on our lists because obviously those movies would top a lot of lists. But this this list is not about the movies. So therefore, those scores from those movies on our 12 favorite movies of all time list are fair game, okay? So, Shanna, was there anything you wanted to share about this list, uh, the crafting of it, or any feelings or thoughts you had about it in general? 
I was excited about this list. I am a huge fan of John Williams. He made the list somewhere. I can't remember where he fell on my list for composers. Uh, you mean film scores? I don't I think mean, we did composers. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So for film scores. Mm -hmm. I just, I had a lot of fun with it. I was like, okay, well, what? I looked at the, the works that I love and I thought for the order, what can I read on the page and then hear in my head immediately? And I, I have listened to two of his soundtracks over and over and over again with my charge because that just influences our play. If we're playing with dinosaurs of any kind, with any kind of story we're making, I'm playing Jurassic Park. Uh -huh. If we're going for a Christmas theme or we're building the Home Alone kit, I'm playing the Home Alone soundtrack. Uh -huh. And... I think that what's cool about John Williams is sometimes you can hear you can hear him if you listen with your eyes closed uh, like I do. And I can't always identify which piece that movie is from, but I know him when I hear him. Mm. So I, I just went for what's the most fun, what gets most stuck in my head uh, to make the list. You know, he is one of the most iconic film composers ever. And so because of that, it's hard not to fill your list with iconic scores. Do you think, Shano, that we will hear from you any picks that are not of the iconic, you know, kind of lesser known picks? Yeah, I think there's his? a couple of lesser known picks in here. But what I have noticed is... When a director gets John Williams as the composer, it seems like that's that's your teammate uh, for, for life. Uh, <laughs> so I, I find that really interesting. I'm noticing there's like three or four directors in here, <laughs> different directors. You know, that brings up another question because he has been so married with Steven Spielberg. It's a question of, okay... How many Spielberg <laughs> scores are going to end up on our well, list? Well, it, it turns know? out he does have other friends, John Williams. Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Here exactly. and there. Exactly. So it's a matter of who's going to dominate the list, if anyone. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I love John Williams. He's one of the first composers I, I became very familiar with. I have a couple CDs of his work, particularly his work with Spielberg. And, you know, and I have actually learned about some of his other scores through those CDs that I, I wouldn't have otherwise and fell in love with them. You know, he's probably my most beloved composer. Maybe we did do composers once before, actually. Now that I think about it, I'll have to look it up on the blog. But yeah, I mean, this is this was a good idea on on your part, Shanna. I believe you came up with the idea of doing a John Williams list, and then that's why I came up with the idea of oh well, let for our favorite scores, we should really not do any John Williams <laughs> scores, you know, and just save that for later. So here we are now, ready to talk. John Williams scores, and as possible, I will try to feature some samples here and there throughout this discussion. Um, so, Shanna, what is your 12th favorite John Williams score? My 12th favorite is, I know this is going to kill you, but it's Indiana Jones. So, 
uh, you know, that's pretty iconic. I, I enjoy the main theme. I think I really liked Crystal Skull, which might not... Ha- okay, don't start with me. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff just did a whiplash with his head. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, you didn't. Not on my podcast. You haven't even mentioned <laughs> specifically Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the first movie you mentioned oh, is on. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, well, that had a bigger impact on me because that's what I got to see. I didn't really see any of the Indiana Jones movies until I met you. What? I gotta again. Don't start with me. So. Wow, that's. Crazy. I guess I'm just gonna stop talking now about this. No, no, no. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. So, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay, what is it about that score in particular? So, although I think of Crystal Skull when I think of Indiana Jones, it does get back better as I watch it backwards. So, and so does the the score. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, Indiana Jones in general is what you're saying is your pick, not a particular, or is it Kingdom of Christmas? So how I've gone about it is, okay, if there's a franchise, I'm just listing the franchise because inevitably what happens is his music gets used throughout it anyway. Uh, A franchise like Indiana Jones, it's just going to be like, well, here it is. Huh. Okay. That might get interesting for later. But my 12th favorite John Williams score is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Wow, that's pretty low. But it's on my it's on my list. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 as low as it is just because of what's ahead of it. And it is iconic because of the huge five-note fanfare that gets repeated in the climax of the film primarily but there's also some eerie bits that can when you're just listening to it and not watching the movie it can remind one of 2001 a space odyssey in some ways too so close encounters of the third kind is my 12th favorite john williams score
My number 11 is Stepmom. So my number 12 was with director Steven Spielberg, and we'll hear a ton about him because, you know, let's face it, they're buds. And number 11 is Stepmom, which is directed by Christopher Columbus. And you can kind of tell when he's working with who. Hmm. There's a bit of similarity between the pieces I've noticed. And I don't really know how to talk about it from a musical standpoint because that's not where I'm trained. But I can feel it and hear it in my own way. It's very sweet. It's it's very family. <laughs> so uh, I enjoy the, the score for Stepmom. Yeah, I'd be interested and curious because that, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, so I definitely don't remember the score to it. I don't know if he's composed for many family dramas. So that is an interesting one uh, for sure. My 11th is a Spielberg, another Spielberg film, but it is one of Spielberg's lesser known films because it is considered one of his biggest disasters. And that is 1941, which is a World War II comedy starring John Belushi. But, but it has a march to it, the very militaristic march that has a liveliness to it and a fun kind of vibe to it, a fun sound to it. got to know it through one of my compilation CDs and I've always loved it 
And it's, you know, it's probably better than the movie. I, I haven't seen the movie <laughs> in a long time, you know, and it's reputed to be one of Spielberg's worst movies. But, I do like when that happens, when the score is so much better than the movie. And then you kind of feel sad for it, kind of like Antebellum. Mm, yes, yes, that is an excellent score. Uh, so, But I do enjoy the 1941 March and score. Uh, so that is my 11th favorite John Williams score. Great. My number 10 is War of the Worlds. There's Spielberg oh. again. You know, it's a very exciting score and it's very crazy. I don't really know what else to say about it other than I enjoy it. So that is War of the Worlds. <laughs> okay, so it's kind of crazy. And, you know, that's another one. I don't quite remember the score to. I rewatched the movie a couple years ago. Well, and I guess that, that kind of deals with family drama too because the family gets, like, separated and then they get uh, reunited and then they're separated. So. Don't get me started on that. But there's a <laughs> lot of eerie scenes and intense yeah. scenes too. And I'm sure that's reflected in William's score, I'm betting. So my 10th favorite is Home Alone. I love Home Alone. Yes, I know. Mm -hmm. And it is one of his most iconic non-Spielberg scores, or scores to a non-Spielberg movie. And... It's it's kind of you know it's it's magical. It's got that wintry vibe to it. It's got like an exciting kind of family adventure vibe to it at times. I mean, that's kind of family drama too. <laughs> it's not straight up family drama. No, but, not at all. But it is a little bit there. You know, it has it has a whimsy to it at times. But his spin on the Carol of the Bells is one of the ones that, oh, that stands one. out to me the most. Yeah. And it's probably it's also interestingly enough the piece that's most confused with a later work that he did ten or so years later that might come up later. I'll say later again. <laughs> so, but that is that is one that I do enjoy, and it's my tenth favorite John Williams score. My number nine is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And oh, it did make your list. It did. It did. Because, you know, I'm, I have a hard time with that film. I don't know if I'm just always in a frazzled state whenever I watch it. That might be the case. But I do enjoy the music to it. And this is, again, another example of like, okay, well, if, if I'm going to be playing Aliens or Space or something with kiddos in my life, I'm mm. going to play something like Close Encounters, you know? Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, you should play the sequence when the kid's being abducted. 
Great. Yeah, that piece of score. <laughs> so what I do like about John Williams' scores is between all the scores that I listen to with mm. the kids in my life, I always get the most questions when it's a John Williams score. Huh. What's happening now in the movie? What's happening at this part? What do you mean something bad's happening? <laughs> you can't talk about it. <laughs> like, I just find it interesting that, uh, you know, the children in my life who haven't watched these movies yet, but hear the score through me, they know, they sense the emotions that are coming through without being able to attach it to anything. Mm. Very good. Uh, my ninth favorite, coincidentally, it was actually the, <laughs> I didn't realize this. It was the piece that I was referring to when I was talking about Home Alone. For heaven's sakes, love. It's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Those Stone. Those sound so similar sometimes. I, I totally get that. I totally get that. But at the same time, it is an iconic score. And I don't know if we get a lot of iconic scores since the turn of the century. What do you think about that? Do you think that Harry Potter is one of the few instantly recognizable scores of the new century? This is a very big question, and I want to <laughs> have the right answer. <laughs> well, I I think of Hans Zimmer scores. Does that count? It's true. That's true. Yes. And yes. I, that's true. I, and I think about scores like Arrival of Suc- or Sicario from Johan Johansson. Sure. Like okay. I think I, like you hear the Sicario piece where they're going where they're going down into the the tunnels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like I instantly feel that. Yeah. You know? Well, and I guess you know you got the Spider-Man score and you got some of the MCU yeah, ones. Yes, so, so James I guess I'm wrong. Is it James Horner? <laughs> I'm forgetting because I'm out of practice. Uh, well, da- uh, Danny Elfman did the Spider-Man score, and Alan Silvestri did a lot yeah, of the Yeah, sorry, Alan Silvestri. Yeah, anyway. Um, that is pretty iconic. Yeah, so I guess I'm wrong. But the Harry Potter one, for sure, is an mm-hmm. iconic piece. It's it's. The, I mean, the, the theme gets repeated into different va- uh, variations yeah. throughout the entire opening of the franchise as well. Even when other people took over the composition duties, that's, that is a thing about John Williams yeah. is he can create a theme mm-hmm. that other people will feel inclined to repeat um, in, in or call back way. in some way in their compositions. And I feel like Michael Giacchino is really good at that. I got excited this weekend and I was like, oh, maybe John Williams did the score. And then I remembered, no, he didn't. But then I was like, oh, my God, who's doing the score? And it was Michael Giacchino. And I was like, okay, we're going to be fine. Yeah. You know? You're talking about Jurassic Park, or Jurassic Dominion. World. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that was my ninth favorite. You're up, Shanna. All right. My number eight is another Spielberg. It is E.T. I mean, okay. So here's another family drama mixed with sci-fi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there. That's Spielberg in a nutshell. This one will make me cry. Mm. This one will make me feel like wonder. It's uh-huh. pretty unique in that way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is it like one of the only William scores that makes you cry? That has that That's power? A really good question. Yes. I'm looking at the list and yeah. Mm. It it does. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think another piece that makes me cry is probably is a James Horner from um 
Titanic. Land Before Time. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one will make me cry. So mm, very good. Uh, yeah. So how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, my eighth favorite John Williams score is Hook. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know when Peter Banning's kids are being abducted. There's a really dark, kind of sinister mm. uh, piece that Williams has going on there, but also has a bit of a piratey vibe, uh, kind of undercurrent through it. And that's really great. But you also have, of course, the main theme to Hook, which is, uh, you know, a lot of fun and adventure and, and spirited. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I've always loved that the the that score from that film. It, mm-hmm. I think it's one a piece of a whole that's that works all really well together. So that is Hook. That is my eighth favorite John Williams score. My number seven is not sci-fi. So how exciting, but is still Spielberg, uh, is Catch Me If You Can. Ah. I absolutely love the the theme. So Mm -hmm. like the opening credits. Yeah, with the oboe. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. Not oboe. I think it's a clarinet, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Again, I did I did make it clear that I don't know how to speak about music yeah. per se. Well, uh, I made that mistake. But go ahead. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Uh, that's probably the highlight for me. Oh, Catch Me If You Can is a great movie, but the music is definitely the highlight for me. Yeah, that is an excellent one. That is one I one of the only ones 
I considered for this list that did not quite make it. Uh, but I'm a fan, for sure. My seventh is an iconic one. It is one that is Im- unmistakable. And I think the entire world knows this one. Is it Star Wars? It is Superman. Oh, great. 19, what was that, 1979, 78, something like that. Richard Donner film. I think one of the only, I think the only score he might have done for Richard Donner, actually. You know, think about it, aside okay. from Superman 2. But, you know, I mean, da, dun, da, 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 dun, 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 you know, it literally sings. I mean, it, it's, it's, like, it's almost like it is saying up, up and away, you know? It's so, <laughs> it's, it's so, so great. It's such a great uh, score and, and the, you know the theme is it just fits the film the feeling of the film perfectly it is one of the greatest if not the greatest superhero theme ever composed so that's superman my seventh favorite john williams score cool my number six is the harry potter franchise so I well, think the first one was Christopher Columbus, right? The first yes. movie. And, so and, I'll go with that. And Williams only did the com- uh, compose the first three films. I think then if I had to pick one, it would probably be the third. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. It's just so awesome. But the first is really charming. And often if I play the John Williams radio on whatever music device I'm listening to, I, I sometimes get confused between Harry Potter moments in Harry Potter music and then Home Alone because Mm -hmm. I feel like it has the same twinkling. And I thought that that was interesting too. There's kind of this, you know, Christopher Columbus doing Home Alone, Christopher Columbus doing Harry Potter, at least a little bit of it. And there's kind of this theme. So in, in my head, I'm wondering well, out of his buddies, <laughs> like, okay, you know Steven Spielberg has a particular way with things. Well, does Christopher Columbus too? And mm. does John Williams adapt to, you know, if he gets a phone call from Christopher Columbus, he's like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do for you. Like, mm. I'm just wondering if that's the case. Mm. Interesting. My sixth favorite John Williams score is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice. You you have the iconic Indiana Jones theme or Raiders theme as it's officially called, uh, the Raiders March I should say you know and then you have everything else that happens during the action sequences. He has a, a great way in those films of enlivening the action and heightening the action sequences mm. with his. His horn pieces, I think he has, usually it's like horn and string, I think, are, are working in concert together to add to the thrills in those scenes. Uh, like, there's a particular piece in my head that I'm thinking of that I can't, I couldn't articulate it to you.
if like Indiana Jones is creeping in a dark tunnel or something dark and sinister is about to happen in the climax of the film, John Williams' score always fits that mood in those scenes. So uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my sixth favorite John Williams score. My next one is a new buddy on my list for John Williams. It's George Lucas. Oh. So Star Wars. Star Wars so, is your fifth favorite John Williams score? Yeah, it's number five. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, there is a plethora of pieces. There's a bunch of movies to choose from. But when you said horns, all I could think about across John Williams scores is in Return of the Jedi when they're above the the sand monster pit the sarlacc pit the sarlacc pit mhm you just pushed your glasses up without your hat, without having glasses <laughs> so i look star wars is amazing uh the music like that was one of the first scores i introduced my kiddos to so uh, it has a lot of power. It has a lot of variety. There's a lot of sweetness to it, but there's a lot of action to it. And it's a super freaking iconic. Yeah. Wow. There isn't really much else I can say about it. I need to stop being surprised when you have Star Wars anything <laughs> so low because it is actually only your sixth favorite franchise as per episode 119. You can go back and listen to that one. We count down our favorite franchises of all time and and hear my shock when star wars it comes up on shanna's list uh i should i should stop being shocked my (laughs) fifth favorite john williams score is jurassic park because it's one of the only one one of the few where it's like the complete score that i love it's not just like the whole album yeah right okay yeah i I, agree with you i had the cd when the original movie came out i had this uh cd this score on cd and i would listen to it it's been a long time since i've listened to it in full (laughs) but i do recall it being great it's so great that jurassic world dominion steals from it oh any michael giacchino just borrowed it a little bit any chance he gets <laughs> okay it's not even just the theme it, it's so many other things so um yeah jurassic park score is one of one of the the best and of mm-hmm. course the theme is is one of those iconic themes you know stuck so, in my head right now right exactly exactly uh and he does kind of a lullaby version of that theme at the end of the film um mm-hmm. a little more gentle it's so sweet yeah mm-hmm, exactly so jurassic park is my fifth favorite john williams score Jenna, what's your fourth favorite? My fourth one bounces us back to Steven Spielberg. Uh-huh. Uh, it's Hook. I oh. love that. Um, the piece that you were talking about. Above Star Wars? Oh, come on. <laughs> you, you love to- the score to Hook more than Star Wars? Oh, God. Every time. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm blown away by this. And I, and I just said I love the score to Hook, but <laughs> Wow. Star Wars gets a lot of attention from everyone. It doesn't need to be that high on my list. It can sit at my favorite number five, okay? And Hook is there at number four because even though Star Wars will make me have a pretend lightsaber or a pretend awesome dark walk 
like Darth Vader or be did he do Fate of the Duels? Yes, that would be the okay. Phantom Menace score. Yeah, yes. well, okay, Fate of Duels is amazing, okay, because it it for someone who doesn't like fighting games, if I put that little score on, I'll I'll pretend fight with you, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it didn't make your oh, list. For fuck sakes. <laughs> <laughs> So with Hook, it's a lot more bouncier and springy, and I enjoy it more. I'm like instantly, again, I'm ready with a pretend sword, and it's just, it's a lot of fun, you know, and you can feel the color, and you can feel the quick movements of the feet with just the music alone, and the magic that's within it. I mean, Star Wars, in a way, is very serious business, Mm, mm -hmm, you know? It mm -hmm. is. It's serious. Mm -hmm. And with Hook, it's a lot more playful. And Hook doesn't get enough attention. So I like it. So it's number four. And it's my list. (laughs) Indeed. My fourth favorite is Jaws. Oh, that's my number three. A lot of people, you know, think of the main theme. Right, the low notes mm-hmm. that starts yeah. out very slow and eventually kind of crescendos and speeds up. You know, very easy to play on the piano. You don't even know how to play the piano, and and you can probably find those notes on there in the bass. But there's also, I think, there's there's things like Out to Sea that has a little more of a, a spirited kind of uh, optimism mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. sound of it, and and. There's, you know, the shark cage fugue. There's a lot of pieces to Jaws that I really enjoy and I think does like it's kind of forgotten but is just as good as that main theme. It's a great score overall. I I also like the I don't know what it's called, but I like the part where they're at the dinner table. Oh. Um yeah, okay. that's just you know it brings back that sweetness. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And in a movie that's so tense with the dirter Yeah. and ominousness that, that you know he manages to hit the sweet as well. Our child will not be listening to Baby Shark because this generation right now that's coming up that's around the 5 to 7 year old generation is like if they hear John Williams, they're like, oh, when's Baby Shark starting? Because they took the beginning of Jaws and put it at the beginning of uh, Baby Shark. And how I'm like, how rude. How, how rude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How rude. It's like you took a poop oh! on the, <laughs> the song. So what's your number three? My third favorite John Williams score is E.T., the extraterrestrial. That makes sense, yeah. You have pieces... <laughs> 
like Adventures on Earth, and you have Over the Moon, and they are they are they are iconic. I believe it's gosh, I can't remember. I want to say it is Adventures on Earth that is used at the end of the film, and it is one of the most stirring pieces of score I've ever heard. And I bawl like a baby <laughs> at the end of that film, in part because John Williams' composition moves me to tears when paired with what's happening on screen there. And, yeah. you know, when E.T. is flying away, it just has this sense of wonder and epicness and scope. And it's like it makes this friendship in the film feel huge
if you talk about ET moments in ET without someone knowing anything about that film, anything uh-huh. Uh-huh. through pop culture references or anything like they, they have nothing. It sounds like one of the most bizarre films. <laughs> and if you think of it from that perspective, it's like, well, how the fuck do you score that? Uh. You know? And I think that John Williams takes really big films like that, that cover so much of the emotional, you know, IQ and, and he's able to really amplify it. Excellent. Then what is your second favorite John Williams score. So here's where we... It's basically... <laughs> why are we doing... Well, here's the laughing? Here, 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 why don't we do this? Because I think you and I can both guess our number ones pretty easily. Yeah, probably. Why don't I try guessing what your second favorite John Williams score is? Uh, okay, go for it. And you can do the same uh, for me as well. Okay. okay? B, I'm guessing it's a Spielberg film. <laughs> No. (gasps) (laughs) Well, you've done Home Alone and you've done Harry Potter already, haven't you? No, I've just mentioned it in comparison. Oh, well, then it's got to be Home Alone. There you go. Good job. Yeah, because I know what your number one is and (laughs) it's not Home Alone. Yeah. So so I love Home Alone so much. I mean, we were building the Home Alone Lego kit the other day and it has like 4,500 pieces. And we just listened to that soundtrack over and over and over and over again in June. So mm. I just have to hear two notes and the rest of the song will continue to play in my head. Nice. And I will listen to the whole soundtrack. So the top two of mine are where I love the entire soundtrack. I love Star Wars, but I don't love every single soundtrack. Oh, well, like, okay. But do you love every piece in the original Star Wars yeah. film? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But here it's more contained. The top two are more contained uh-huh. and I... I love Home Alone so much. I just think that that music can be so charming, so exciting, especially when they're running through the airport and it's like, and it's just really, really funny. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. not only is the scene funny, but hearing it is hilarious. Uh-huh. So I like that. I like the power of that. And then uh, when Kevin is getting getting the house, he's going to, protect his house that piece of music is pretty good too Mm. and like you said carol of the bells his version is just like totally (laughs) perfection i have no interest in i'll listen to what is like the rock band oh trans barbarian orchestra oh i'll listen to their version too that's fine that's nice yeah but uh, you know john williams takes the cake first sure you know so that's the home alone one okay so now i get to guess your number two you haven't seen it yet right no. Okay, so what do you think my second favorite John Williams score is? Did you mention Close Encounters? Yes, it was the first one on my list. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, how about Empire of the Sun? Empire of the Sun? Yeah. It is, yes. Oh, great. Yeah, that one's really good. I yeah. forgot to give that attention. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so that's one that I have always adored, and I knew it was going to be in my top three somewhere mm-hmm. if it wasn't my number one. And it is definitely my number two because you have such pieces as, how do you say it? Exalt Husti. Which, when I just read that, I hear the chorus. That's funny because I don't know the movie very well, but I know exactly which piece you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's fantastic. And Cadillac of the Skies is gorgeous. 
I just, you know, I believe that's what's what's playing in the sequence when he's walking up to the planes and you have this amazing cinematography of sparks flying and everything. Mm-hmm. I believe Cadillac of the Skies is playing during that and it's just absolutely a gorgeous piece as is the rest of the score for Empire of the Sun. I just absolutely love that score. That one makes me cry too, mm. actually. Yeah, that film does for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the score can be definitely a, a big part of that. And, you know, John Williams is just an expert at doing exactly what scores should do, which is heighten the scenes and the feelings uh, in the scene of in a film. <laughs> so and Empire of the Sun is no exception. So that's my second favorite. Jenna, why don't you tell the world, kind of remind the world, actually, in your case, what your favorite John Williams score is. It's Jurassic Park. That's one where I can listen to it over and over and over again, and I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's not attached to Christmas, so it can last throughout the year. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Home Alone, it feels weird to have Home Alone stuck in my head in sure. June. Sure, sure. And with Jurassic Park, I mean, it's just, I feel like it's its nonstop action in that soundtrack. Like, yeah. there's there's the lullaby version that you, you said, like, at the end. And I'm like, well, yeah. maybe as soon as I give birth, we'll have that playing uh-huh. <laughs> as okay. they arrive into the world. I don't know. But... <laughs> Wow. I've spoken about it before. <laughs> I <laughs> What would you That's pretty epic, you? man. You may as well have the theme to Lion King, the circle of life. No, oh, I don't yeah. want Hans Zimmer. <laughs> it should be John Williams. <laughs> oh. That should be the first thing my kid hears, not even our voices. Like, here you go, here's John Williams. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's not really much more I can say about it other than you know, I just love it so much and I'm protective of it. So like I had said earlier, like who the hell is going to come, you know, work on the music in this one. Yeah. But I trust Michael Giacchino to pick up what someone else put down. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But the the original one in particular is. Uh, It's just, it's perfect. Very cool. Absolutely perfect. And of course your number one is. It's Star Wars. Of course it is. And and I'm not saying the entire franchise Star Wars. I'm, particularly saying the first the original <laughs> Star Wars itself uh, is is my favorite. You know, uh, you're right. Like, Duel of the Fates and, and Phantom Menace is great. It's like the one good thing that it came is, yeah. from that movie. Yeah. Uh, but no, that score is not among my favorites. <laughs> I mean, the, the original is just, it's iconic. First, you have the blaring fanfare that kicks off the movie. Yeah, I forgot. That makes me cry too. <laughs> well, occasionally it does. In the more recent ones, it does for me for yeah. sure. But you also have the Imperial March. Oh, so which good. is also just equally iconic. You have the you have Leia's theme. I think Luke has a theme. There's so much. Um, uh, yeah, the whole like do 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 when um Luke is looking out onto the two moons on Tatooine.
You know, there's just just such a perfect hole the Star Wars score is. So I love it. <laughs> it it makes is me my a, favorite. It makes me a little sad that it's on number five, but that's just kind of how it felt. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So that's that's my favorite. And those are our favorite John Williams scores. What are your favorite John Williams scores? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Shannon, before we talk about the next episode, why don't you share with people where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram, Shanna Paxton Photography, and you can find me on Flickchart, Spellbinding A. Go to thegibsonreview.com. Please go to it and read all the things I have been doing. I, especially the James Bond review series of articles, there should be two or three on there for you to read and share your thoughts about. But you can also find episodes of the Movie Lovers on there. If you don't have the podcast on your pod, favorite podcatcher subscribed, uh, you can also go to facebook.com slash the Gibson Review to follow. And on Instagram, the Gibson 99. I do bracket polls on there. We've kind of taken a break lately uh, because we're going, we are going to gear up to a bracket of john williams scores but recently we did your favorite horror novel adaptations stephen king kind of ruled your 10 um i believe and the shining was your number one favorite we also did your favorite 2002 i can say the word 2003 movie and that ended up being lord of the rings return of the king will lord of the rings dominate 2002 and 2001 eventually we'll find out and you can participate by following on instagram the gibson 99 next time on the movie lovers we don't quite have a film faves list figured out yet there's a few ideas we could play with none of which necessarily are tied to the main review. The main review will be Elvis, Boz Lerman's spectacle that has been given heaps of praise by the Presley family. Oh, that's really lovely. That is lovely. Yet I am still going in with low expectations because I have been very unimpressed with Boz Lerman the past decade. Uh, you going in? What were your thoughts going into that movie? With Elvis specifically, yeah, yeah, how yeah, am yeah, I yeah. preparing myself? I, I know you. You've talked about how you don't really know anything about Elvis and everything, but in terms of like Boz no, Lerman um, movie, yeah. So I, I know, I know very little, little about Elvis. I yeah. just know that he made people scream <laughs> by singing, but and, so and did moving. the Beatles. And, so and moving, but yeah, and then his music was really good. But are you looking forward to it because it's a Baz Luhrmann movie? Or are you, like, uh, kind of Look, uh, cautious? I don't know who Baz Luhrmann's cinematographer is, but I'm I'm craving some of that. Okay. I'm craving that kind of cinematography, that glitzy, that. glamour, and energy. smooth-ass fucking skin kind oh. of sparkly eyes look. Okay. Which seems to be happening in this one, very similar to Moulin Rouge. But I'm also, I'm, I'm like you, I'm going in cautiously because like you, I, I agree. It hasn't been a hit every time. Uh-huh. You know, he's kind of missed it a little bit. But yeah. But maybe this is where he thrives. Maybe he thrives with some music. So 
Maybe, maybe. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because what was, I remember Australia happened. That didn't have, that wasn't about a musician or no, music all, all, bringing you to all. life. But then we had The Great Gatsby, which you and I both saw, and oh, uh, I yeah. absolutely hated. Yeah. At any rate, we'll talk more about this in the next episode. You can look for it on Tuesday, just after the holiday, July 5th. Until then, keep love with the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. Of Jurassic World Dominion. You're not recording, are you? Oh, come on, you love me. (laughs) Did you ever think that you'd get a wife that you could record podcasts with and that she would have a Jurassic theme intro for you? No. All right. Do, do, do. (laughs) You gotta let me have some fun. time of my life. All right. I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm looking at Jurassic.